Thank you, Sydney. All right, if you've got your Bibles, open up to Colossians chapter 1. Look at verses 21 through 23 this morning. Last week, last week we looked at who Jesus was. We had that, uh, that great passage where Paul talks about the preeminence of Christ and how uh, it is only through Christ really that salvation is offered because of who He was. Well, this week we're going to look at, at ourselves uh, in desperate need of someone who can save. If, if Jesus is the only one that can save, if He is preeminent in that, then who are we as those who need a Savior? You know, our world tells us, and even in some churches, we are told, and the, the idea is that, hey, you're a good person, you just occasionally do some bad stuff. You're really good overall. You've got a couple of bad things that you do here and there sporadically. And you just need Jesus to kind of spot clean your life. Just kind of uh, take care of this bad thing. Maybe you told a lie. Take care of this bad thing. Maybe you uh, thought a bad thought. Overall, though, you are a really good person. And so the question that we're going to ask this morning is what does the Bible actually say about that? What does the Bible actually say about us? Are we really good people who occasionally do something wrong uh, and it's just that little bit of bad stuff that has to be cleaned up? Or, or does our sin have a bigger impact on our lives and on our relationship with God than just something small that needs to be spot cleaned? The reason why this is important it's because if we view ourselves as this kind of idea of I'm a really good person, maybe I'm better than my neighbors, maybe I'm better than my coworkers, or I'm not as bad as some of my neighbors, I'm not as bad as some of my coworkers. When we view ourselves that way, then it does two things. One, it makes it much easier for those who do not know Jesus to say, look, I'm not really a bad person and I can kind of clean up my bad spots on my own. Why do I need Jesus? It also impacts believers because if we view ourselves as really good people who just need Jesus for this little bit of spot in our life, then it's much easier for us to become um, arrogant, self-righteous, think that we are better than others, and show ourselves to be like the Pharisees and condemn those who aren't quote-unquote as good as us. Because the picture that the Bible paints is not one of, hey, really good people who do occasionally bad things. In Romans 3, uh, Paul is laying out the argument of our sinfulness, really in the first three chapters of Romans. And in Romans 3, it tells us that there is none righteous, no, not one, and that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Now, Here's the reality. I think most people, whether they are religious or not religious, whether they're Christians or not Christians, would agree with that. Most people would say, yes, I understand that I am not perfect. I understand that I have done bad stuff, or I've not done always the right things. I'm not as bad as I, as I could be, but I'm not as bad as everybody else. There are other people who are much worse than I am. I've never cheated on anybody. I've never committed murder. I've never stole anything. Overall, I'm a good person, but I understand that I'm not perfect. I think that's the mindset of a lot of people. And what we're going to see this morning is that the Bible reminds us that looking at other people, that is not our measuring stick. 
Our measuring stick for what makes good or bad, our measuring stick for what makes right or wrong or righteous or unrighteous, it's not our neighbors, it's not our family, it's not our co-workers, it's God Himself. I remember when I was younger, every summer, or most summers, uh, we had friends and family in St. Louis and in Nashville. So we would go either to uh, Six Flags or Opryland. And I remember when I was younger, there was always those, those signs outside the ride that said, you have to be this tall to ride this ride. And when I was younger, I always desperately wanted to strain and stretch to try to make myself tall enough to ride the really fun rides. It didn't matter if I was taller than my brother and sister. It didn't matter if I was taller than my cousins or my my mom's friends, kids that were with us. That didn't matter if I was taller than anybody else. If I did not measure up to that measuring stick, there's no way I was getting on that ride. And so when it comes to eternity, God is our measuring stick. Not our neighbors, not everybody else. So we don't want to compare ourselves to others and say, well, I'm not as bad as this person. I might not be as good as this person. Or I'm better than this person. That Honestly, that doesn't mean a hill of beans. It doesn't matter. What matters is where we stand with God. Because reality is, most of the people in this room, I, I would bet, pretty good people. I would bet the majority of you, especially those that I know, and even those that I don't know, that you are really uh, probably a good person. You're moral. Uh, overall, you make good decisions. But we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And what Paul lays out in Colossians here is he lays out what that means for us, that we have sinned. So let's read the passage, we'll pray, then we're going to make our way through the passage. Let's look at Colossians chapter 1, verses 21 through 23. Paul writes, And you, who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he is now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. Let's pray. Father God, we come before you now. And God, I pray that as we gather together this morning to uh, worship you, Father God, to study your word, Father God, show us or remind us, wherever we stand, God, of our need for you. Father God, of the effect that sin has on our lives and why we need a Savior. And Father God, we thank you. We thank you for sending Jesus to reconcile us. Father God, just on the front end, God, I pray for all those who know you. God, that this uh, passage would remind us of what you have saved us from and it would drive us to love you and be thankful for you and worship you more. And Father God, I pray for anyone in this room this morning who does not know you as their Lord and Savior. Father God, that you would be at work in their hearts. Father God, showing them their need for you. And Father God, I pray that they would respond in faith. We love you and we thank you. It's in Jesus' name we do pray. Amen. All right. So the first thing that we see in verse 21 is that before Christ, my sin gives me an antagonistic relationship with God. Verse 21 says, And you who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds. Now let's start off with that doing evil deeds part of that verse. What does that mean? What that means is sin. 
The doing evil deeds, that's just a synonym for sin. So it could say, you who were once alienated and hostile in mind, sinning or committing sin or doing sin. Sin is anything that does not measure up to God's standard of what is right. Sin is to to miss the mark. It's to fall short. If God says, this is what it means to be right or good, sin means we don't quite get there. That we fall short. No matter how good we are, we do not measure up to God's standard of perfection. Now, sometimes it is easy for us to kind of... Think of sin kind of in the big terms. Well, well sin is, is murder. Sin is what, what the terrorists do when they fly planes into buildings. Uh, sin is uh, abortion. Sin is uh, uh, cheating on your spouse. Sin is being addicted to drugs and alcohol. We think of these, these kind of big things, and that's what we kind of limit sin as. Well, I want to read you two different passages in, in two different books, one in Colossians, one in Galatians, where Paul lists out sin. Uh, one in conjunction with, with who you used to be. Uh, these are the things that kind of weighed you down. And one just kind of listing out, this is what a, a, a life given over to sin, or this is what that looks like. So the first is in Colossians chapter 3, verses 5 through 9. It should be on the screen behind me, so you don't have to flip over. But it says this. And we'll get here in a few weeks, but he says this. He says, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. Now listen to the stuff that he lists out. Sexual immorality. That is anything outside of sex between a married man or woman. That is things that we think of, things that we look at. That is activities. Sexual morality. Impurity. Passion. Evil desire. Covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these you too once walked when you were living in them. Now you must put them all away. Anger. Wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices. Now Galatians 5, 19-21, it says, These are the works of the flesh. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity and strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you as I warned you before that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now notice, in these passages, as Paul lists out this stuff, then in Colossians he says it's because of this that the wrath of God is coming. He didn't list wars. He didn't list uh, being a dictator. He didn't list murder. He didn't list kind of these big concepts that we have of sin. He said stuff like coveting. That's wanting something that someone else got, has. Not being content with, with your car or your house or your bank account. You want what other people have. Sexual immorality. Anger. Lying. Jealousy. Envy. He didn't list kind of these kind of big things that only a few people do. He listed these things that everybody struggles with. He listed sins that we would consider commonplace. Being envious, being covetous, being jealous, letting our anger take control at times, telling a lie. This is the stuff that brings about, Colossians says in chapter 3, the wrath of God. As Paul talks about in this 20, verse 21, these doing evil deeds, this is what that is. It's not these massively huge, bad, horrible things. It's the commonplace sins that we allow to exist in our life that, that everyone struggles with. So we have to come to a place where we understand that, that sin is not just, well, not just understand, but also embrace and know to say, 
that sin has a big impact on our life. That we don't just say, uh, hey, I understand that I'm not perfect. I do a couple of bad things and that's it. But we've got to understand that that we are sinners who, who do things repetitively, even in our thoughts, even in our motives, in our heart, that God is called unrighteous, that God is called wicked, that make us guilty before God, that make us unrighteous. Not super clean people with a couple of spots that need to be washed off, but people who are clothed in unrighteousness and wickedness and sinfulness. Now, so Paul kind of, he says, uh, talks about these evil deeds. And then he says these evil deeds have two results, uh, or create two results in, in a relationship with God. The first is that we are alienated. In verse 21 he says, you who once were alienated. This means estranged, set apart, no longer together. This is the opposite of holiness. As Christians, we are called to be holy. Uh, What that means is we are called to be set apart from sin. We are called to be set apart from from who we used to be before we became Christians. And we are called to to draw close to God. That we leave sin behind, we fight against sin, we say no to sin and temptation, and we strive to follow God, to walk with God, to love God, to, to be who God wants us to be. That's the concept of holiness. Well, this is the concept of sin and being estranged or being alienated is completely opposite of that because instead of being separated from sin to God, we are separated from God to sin. Now, remember, Paul says this is who you once were. This means before Jesus Christ, all of us are alienated from God. Before I became a Christian at the age of 15, I was alienated from God. Me and my wife pray for our children that they would be saved because right now they are alienated from God because of their sin. You see, when God created mankind, when God created the earth, He created this perfect place for Him to live and coexist and be with His creation. It was the Garden of Eden. And with Adam and Eve, Genesis tells us that God walked with them daily in the cool of the day, that God would would, would physically come and meet with Adam and Eve and spend time with them when they could see God and talk with God. And there was this incredible relationship. And then what happened? Adam and Eve listened to the lie of the serpent. And they ate the fruit of the tree. And they were alienated from God. They were forced to leave that place of perfection. Then all of a sudden, their sin impacted not just them, but it impacted the world. And it impacted all of us who follow that we are alienated. We are separated from the perfection of God because of our sin. That which once was perfect has now been broken and separated because of sin. Our sin separates us from God. So it says that we are alienated, but also says something else. It says, And you who were once were alienated and hostile in mind. Hostile means or carries the idea with it of hatred and opposition. What this means in our our minds and who we are, our minds help control who we are. It controls our actions. It controls our, uh, our, our thoughts, our desires. In who we are, because of the evil deeds that we do, because of our sinfulness, we are in opposition to God, as though God is our enemy. 
hostile in minds means that before Jesus Christ, before we have placed our faith and trust in Him, we are not only alienated from God, not only we separated from God, but we are also actively hostile against God as though He were our enemy. In the Greek, this word carries the idea or the concept of, of activity and not just passivity. We are not passively uh, hostile towards God because we don't agree with God. We are actively hostile towards God in our decision to choose sin, in our decision to choose things that God that, that, that are opposite of the very nature, the very person of who God is. I actively root for Ole Miss. Now, we're not very good. We probably won't be good for a few more years. Who cares? It's just football. But I actively root for Ole Miss. I don't actively root against other teams, except for Mississippi State. But that's a different story. I don't actively root against Arkansas. I don't take pleasure when Arkansas is down 35-7 at the half uh, to whoever it was y'all were playing yesterday. Um, I don't actively root for that. But you could argue that I'm passively against uh, Arkansas because I don't root for them. They're not my team. That's not the same thing. The way that the Bible lists this hostile in mind, it's like you were actively pursuing against God. You were actively rooting against God because of our sin. Sin is not something small, it is not something light, it is not something insignificant. Our sin, before we place our faith and trust in Jesus, your sin, if you have never placed your faith and trust in Jesus, alienates you from God and shows your hostility towards God. Sin makes us separated enemies of God who actively despise Him by our actions. You might be the most moral person that you know. When I was saved at 15 years old, and I started to tell my friends at that church summer camp, the response from most people was, Oh, you're such a good kid, I thought you were already saved. I was a good person. I was a moral person. Compared to my friends, everyone said, Hey, that is a good kid. He does good things. But compared to God... I was lost. Compared to God, I fell so short and I was alienated and hostile in mind towards Him. Who I am compared to anybody else does not matter. What matters is who I am compared to the perfect, holy God. And compared to Him, apart from Jesus Christ, I am alienated and hostile because of the evil deeds, the sin that I do. So verse 22, Paul kind of lays out first who we are. But then he goes out and he tells us what Jesus Christ has done for us. And because of Jesus, I have gone from hostility towards God to harmony with God. He says, And you who once were alienated and hostile in mind doing evil deeds, He has now reconciled in His body of flesh by His death. This is the greatest transition in history. This is the transition of reconciliation where we go from being alienated and hostile to be adopted and embraced in God's family. 
And here's the great thing. This is not, or this is who we are, not who we are working to become. In verse 22, he starts off with the word, or the three words, he has now. Now, what this means is the work of Christ. It is active, it is purposeful, it is effective, it is completed. What that means is, even though that I am not perfect, even though I still struggle with sin, even though as my walk with God, I am daily fighting temptation, daily having confessed the areas where I have fallen short, daily um, striving to, to walk with God in humility, even though I am very, very, very far from perfection, God has declared that now I am reconciled through Christ. That reconciliation has already taken place. This is not speaking of one day to come, what's going to happen. This is not something that I'm having to work for. This is not something where Jesus died just to give me a fighting chance. I am reconciled. From God's perspective, the penalty has been paid. From God's perspective, the guilt has been wiped away. From God's perspective, the stain has been cleaned. And I have been reconciled, brought back together, harmoniously brought back together in unity with God through His Son. No longer alienated and hostile, but now brought together, adopted into God's family with Him forever. There's a concept of already not yet. From God's perspective, it's already done. From my perspective, I'm not yet perfect. I'm not yet whole. I'm not yet complete. But there will come a day, whether when Jesus comes back or whether when my life ends and I go to heaven, when all of that will become completely accomplished and my life from God's perspective will match my reality and my life will be perfected. But from God's perspective right now, this reconciliation is not something that I'm looking forward to. It has already been done. What sin had broken, the cross has restored. What sin in the garden had separated, had alienated, had, had, had brought destruction to, Jesus through the cross has brought it back together. That is what reconciliation is. And we are not reconciled by who we are or what we have done or could do, but by Jesus he says that you were reconciled, in the, or you, now you are reconciled in His body of flesh by His death. Jesus Christ reconciled us. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in Him should not perish, but have eternal life. That verse is all about the reconciliation we have with God through Jesus Christ. We're not reconciled because we desperately wanted God to love us. We're not reconciled because we felt so, so sorry for our sin. Sorrow for our sin is not enough. We are reconciled because God said, I'm going to choose to love you. I'm going to choose to love you so much that I'm going to send my son down to live with you, to die for you, to rise again, to ascend to heaven, to sit on my right side, to stand before me as uh, to, to argue your case to show that you have been cleansed, not by how good you are or how sorrowful you are, but by Jesus Christ and what He has done for you, by His blood, by the righteousness that He has clothed you in. 
We have gone from hostility to harmony because of Jesus. We have gone from enemies to family because of Jesus. Because He has reconciled. Because He has restored what sin has broken. We should be sorrowful for our sin, but that sorrow in and of by itself is not enough. We need Jesus. In verse 22, the second half of that verse, we see that our reconciliation creates a new standing before God. In verse 22, he says that he is now reconciled in his body uh, of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. This word present in the Greek, it had this idea of of being presented before the judge in in a court of legal justice. So before, before Christ, if we were presented before the judge, and really anyone who dies apart from Jesus Christ is presented before the judge, and the judge slams down his gavel and he declares guilty. And with guilt there comes punishment. But for those who have placed their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, we are presented before the judge and we are not declared guilty, but instead he lists three things that we are presented to declared before God. Holy, blameless, and above reproach. We are holy, we are set apart from or set apart for God that when we are saved, God takes us. He takes us out of the filth of our life. He takes us out of the mire and the wickedness and the guilt and the shame of our sin. And he sets us apart from the rest of the world. And he says, This one, this is mine. This is my child. They have cried out to me. I have saved them. They are mine. We are set apart for God. We are set apart to love him, to worship him, to tell others about him. We are set apart for His good pleasure. We are declared holy. No longer alienated. No longer separated. But set to. Brought to God. So we are declared holy. We are declared blameless. This is where God looks at us. And because Jesus Christ died for us. And He as, as 2 Corinthians tells us, He clothes us in His righteousness. And He takes our sinfulness. That great exchange that happens. We are declared blameless. That God looks at us. And even though I am far from perfect, God looks at me and He sees perfection. Not because of me, but because I'm covered head to toe in the blood and the righteousness of Jesus Christ so that He looks at me. I'm no longer full of blame and guilt and shame. I am blameless before God. I am innocent before God because of Jesus Christ. Because He sees me through the lens of Jesus Christ. He sees me as perfect and as righteous as Jesus. Not because I truly am. I'm far from it. But because of the work Jesus did on the cross for me. So I'm declared holy, I'm declared blameless, and I'm declared above reproach. Not only does God see me as clean, but now God sees me as, as beyond. He doesn't just spit shine me and wipe off the bad stuff, but He changes who I am. He changes my desires. He changes my heart. He changes my focus. He changes my passions. He completely reshapes who I am. So that not that I I still sin and I still struggle with temptation, but now there is a desire within my heart to pursue righteousness. Now there is a desire in my heart to fight sin. I don't always win, but there is a part of my 
my heart, there's a part of my life that no longer wants sin, that sees it as vile and wicked and anti-God. And I've been changed. And I've been made new. I've been made into something different. I've been made into a child of God. So no longer would I be presented before God as alienated and hostile in mind. No longer am I brought before the judge as guilty and as one who hates the judge. But now I am brought before the God, before God as holy, set apart unto Him, blameless. I am cleaned and above reproach that I've been made something new through and for Him. And then we see the reconciliation in verse 23. Reconciliation is offered to those who place their faith and trust in Jesus as Lord and Savior. He says, If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. This idea of continuing in the faith, first of all, it means that there's got to be faith there to start with. Salvation is not instantaneous for the world. Salvation is not instantaneous for everybody who is a human being. Salvation is for those who call on the name of the Lord. Salvation is for all those who would repent and say, I understand that I am a sinner, and I understand that I need a Savior, and I trust in Jesus and who He is and what He has done, and I surrender my life to Him. Salvation is for anyone who would Believe, But salvation is not instantaneous. Salvation comes when by uh, faith we trust in the grace of God. By grace you have been saved through faith. That we by faith trust that Jesus Christ is real. By faith we trust that Jesus is who He said He is and He did what the Bible says that He did. That He came, that He died, that He rose again. And that He ascended into heaven. By faith, we believe that the things Jesus has promised, that He has promised forgiveness, He has promised eternal life for those who trust Him, for those who trust Him with their life and with their eternity. By faith, we accept all of that is true and we surrender our life to Him saying, I will follow you. Whatever you would call me to do, command me to do, who you want me to be, how you want me to live, I am yours and you are mine. Also, the idea of continuing in faith does not mean that there is a time that you can lose your faith. What it means is, well, Hebrews tells us that that anyone who who leaves the faith was never genuinely of the faith. So, um, as a church, we hold that the Bible teaches that once you're saved, you are always saved. And if anyone ever rejects Jesus, the Bible tells us there was never genuine saving faith there to begin with. So with that kind of moving past that, the idea that Paul is really laying out here is the idea of perseverance. That as Christians in our faith, we are called to persevere. We are called to push forward. And the reason is, the reason is because we have been alien or because we are no longer alienated from God and we are we are holy to God and we are set apart to God. It means that we are aliens and strangers to the rest of the world is what Paul says, or Peter says in 1 Peter. It means that that instead of being alienated to God, we are alienated to the rest of the world in the fact that we serve a different king. Our values are different. Our hope is different. The, The goals of our life are different. Our morals are different. Our ethics and our values and our truth is different. All of it because we follow God now. So, 
Instead of being alienated to God, we are alienated to the rest of the world, which is really the better spot to be. You'd rather be on God's side than on the rest of the world's side because God is God. But that is tough and that is difficult. It's hard being being the one who tries to walk with God when, when all the friends that you have in school all have no desire to follow God. It's hard to be the Christian in a workplace when everyone else is... is, is some of the sins that were listed in Galatians, this, the foul mouth and the, uh, the, the coarse jesting or the, the, or the bad talk, they're using language that, that, that we would consider would, would be wrong. They're telling jokes that we would consider not righteous. They're, they're doing things and declaring things and living in such a way that you are different. You're that, that small light surrounded by darkness. It can be tough sometimes to be a Christian because we are alienated from the world. It can also be tough because though we have been saved, there is still a part within us that still longs for and desires sin. And so daily we have to fight against this this old man, the flesh that Paul talks about, that is still yearning for control of our life and yearning for sin and yearning to give in to temptation. And it is tough sometimes to say, I'm going to choose to walk with God and to fight against my flesh. I'm going to choose to walk with God even when the world around me mocks me or doesn't agree with me or makes me alienated from the world, from my friends, from my culture around me. And it can be difficult, but Paul encourages us that one of the foundational tenets of our faith is there is a perseverance, not perfection. We won't be perfect till we get to heaven, but there is a perseverance that we push forward, walking with God, loving God, and serving God. So what does this mean for us? We're going to close with this. One, we have to understand who we are. That our sin makes us alienated from God and hostile towards Him. And we desperately need a Savior. Second, we have to recognize what Jesus has done for us. That He reconciled us through His death. That what He did on the cross was He wiped away our sin and made it where we could be presented before God as holy, blameless, and above reproach. Not because of what we've done, but because of who Jesus is and what He did for us. Now, salvation is not, is not all about me. It's all about what Jesus Christ has done for me. We need to accept the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. There are two people in this room. Those who have accepted Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior and those who have not. If you're in this room, if you've not accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, your step this morning is to do that. To understand that apart from Christ, just as I was when I was 15 before I accepted Christ as my Lord and Savior, that I am alienated and hostile in mind towards God. The only change in that is through Jesus Christ. And fourth, we need to remind ourselves of what Jesus has done for us every day to help us persevere. That daily as believers, we said there's two people, those who are lost who need Jesus, those who are believers. You've already placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. We need to daily remind ourselves that if not for Christ, we would be alienated and hostile, just like the rest of the world around us. One, that means that we are no better than anybody else. As we look out on the world around us and we see people still trapped in their sin, we understand that, hey, they're not um, the bad people stay away. 
that that's who I would be if not for Jesus Christ. I'm not better than anybody else. And stay humble before God and before humanity because we're not saved because of our greatness. We're saved because of Jesus' greatness. We also need to remind ourselves of what Jesus Christ has done for us to help us persevere. To remember that we're not in this fight alone. That we're not in this fight by ourselves, this fight against sin. But we are in this fight with God, with Jesus Christ, with the Holy Spirit that we have been given. That we can walk with God and follow Him and obey Him. The gospel... What Jesus Christ did for us on the cross is the most important historical event in in all of history. And what we do with the gospel, what we do with Jesus Christ is the most important decision that we will ever make in our lives. We're going to have a time of response here in just a second. These altars will be open and I'll be standing up front. If you need to pray, you can come up here and pray. You can pray at your seat. If you need to talk about salvation, maybe you know that you've never accepted Christ and you want to talk about that or or do something about that, I'll be standing right up front. Come and talk to me. If you need to say, you know what, I'm not 100% sure, come and talk to me. There is no greater decision that you will ever make in your life than the decision of choosing Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Let's pray.